1: In a world where knowledge has become a commodity, this podcast is designed to give you something more, access to the experience of a successful CEO who has already walked the path. So join your host, Martin Moore, who will unlock and bring to life your own leadership experiences and accelerate your journey to leadership excellence. Hey there, and welcome to episode 272 of the No Bullshit Leadership podcast, how to ask excellent questions, nailing interviews, networking, and negotiations. According to LinkedIn, 70% of the global workforce isn't actively job searching, but 87% are open to new opportunities. This reflects a universal truth in the professional world. Many people are passively open to new job opportunities, yet they rarely actively pursue them. It's a common trap that we see even the most ambitious leaders fall into passively waiting, relying on people in their existing networks to approach them, or counting on that internal promotion that's just around the corner. If you have any ambition to climb the ladder, it's time to make a choice. Are you going to remain passive and let someone else dictate the pace and flow, or are you going to step into the void and take control? If you're ready to increase the level of control you have over your career, this week's episode is going to help you a lot. I'm really excited to share with you the replay of the live training Marty did earlier this week on The Art of Asking. If you want to ask better questions in high-pressure situations like interviews, networking conversations and salary negotiations, this episode is a must-listen and I jump on at the end to do a Q&A with some listener questions. So, let's get into it.
0: Well, hello everyone. How are you? Thank you so much for joining me, wherever you are in the world at the moment. We're going to talk about the art of asking, networking, interviewing, and negotiating with precision. So I just want to give you a quick roadmap for what we're going to cover. I have no idea how long this is going to take. Maybe it's, you know, 45 minutes-ish, we think, but um, we'll see how we go because there's a lot of stuff to get through. So just to let you know where we're going, we're going to start by talking about the psychology of asking questions. We'll look at the anatomy of what makes a great question. I'll give you some examples of what good questions look like when you're in the job search process, because there are a number of phases where you have the opportunity to ask questions. And of course, follow-up questions, because sometimes these are just as important as the initial question itself. Uh, I always love to talk about traps for young players. And of course, I'll go through a few of these, just so you know the sorts of things that can get you into a little bit of trouble. I'll then just mention very briefly our program Landing Your Dream Job, which you may find extraordinarily useful if you're on the job hunt. And I'll finish with a Q&A. Now, if technology is willing, I'm going to get our chief executive and my business partner, Emma Green, to join me for the Q&A. We'll see how that goes at the time. So hopefully, you're all in the right place. I just want to start off with a little story about the psychology of asking. Now, for those of you who don't know, I'm actually based in Boston, Massachusetts in the USA, and my wife, Kathy, is from Boston, and we were married in 2008, and she came to live in Australia with me in Brisbane, and on her first trip to Sydney after she'd moved over there, I was there for a conference, she'd accompanied me, and we were going to go out to a restaurant for dinner. And there was this one restaurant that she was particularly keen to try. It was called Sushi E, and it had great wraps on it. It was supposed to be a sensational restaurant. I had a pretty long day at the conference and some difficulties with work after the conference, and I just wasn't feeling very festive in terms of going out. But Kathy, she had a mindset. She said, look, I really want to go to Sushi E. Can you call and make a reservation? So reluctantly, I picked up the phone and I said, Hi, look, I'm just wondering if you'd have a table for us for two for tonight. The answer I got was, I'm terribly sorry, sir. We won't have anything until 9:30. So I said, Fair enough. I understand that it was short notice. I hang up the phone. Kathy looks at me and she says, It's the way you asked. And I said, Hang on a minute. They've either got a table or they haven't got a table. It's got nothing to do with the way I asked. Just look at me. She said, it's the way you ask. Now, as background, Kathy was a gun salesperson in corporate America. So she had a really, really good understanding of how you do ask for these things. And after about 15 minutes of going backwards and forwards, I said to her, okay, if you're so good, you get us a table. And I handed her my phone. So she picked up the phone, she said, hi, it's Kathy Moore. Oh, oh, Andrew. Hi, well, look, I'm just having cocktails at the Hilton. I'll be down in about 20 minutes for dinner. Can you have a table for two ready for us? And he said, of course, Mrs. Moore. We'll see you shortly. Now, I was absolutely dumbfounded by this. But I learned an absolutely critical lesson that when you ask the right way, you normally get a really good answer. And the lessons that we can take from this about the psychology of asking a question are phenomenal. So the very first thing is, Focus on the upside. A lot of us hesitate to ask questions because we're not focused on the upside. We're focused on what could possibly go wrong. The second thing is expect a positive outcome. I asked hesitantly whether they had a table at sushi, Sushi E. Kathy said, I'll be down there in 20 minutes. Can you have a table for two ready for us? It's a completely different tone and it got a completely different response. I don't know where that table came from. We had the best table in the house. And the final thing is, you've sort of got to get comfortable with rejection because people are going to say no to you sometimes or they're not going to give you the answer that you would ideally like. And that's okay. Just get comfortable with the fact that because of the upside, because of the fact that 90% of the time it's going to go your way, it's worth asking. And On the few times it doesn't work out, you can deal with it. Respect before popularity, right? All leaders know this. It's exactly the same in business. We go to ask a question in a meeting. We think, what if I say something dumb? What if people think it's not well informed? What what if people think that I've missed something in the way I've looked at a problem? I don't want to disagree with consensus in a room. And of course, some bosses love the fact that you don't disagree with consensus. Some bosses just love yes people. And so, when you get aware of that, you know who's around you. Sometimes that can be something that retards you or stops you or or convinces you that you should not ask a question when it would really actually be quite appropriate. Now, let's just talk about the anatomy of a great question. Why do you ask questions in a business context? And particularly when we start thinking about the job search process. Well, when you're in any room, a question can help to refocus a discussion. Quite often, you'll see the discussion in a group forum, no matter how senior the people there, can get fixated on one particular point, which may not even be a critical point in the conversation. But with a really smart question dropped in at the right time, you can refocus the discussion. Everyone's going to realise straight away, oh, hang on a minute. Yes, we'd been distracted by an issue that wasn't really material. And so once again, big tick in the box for you, but refocusing a discussion. Sometimes the right question at the right time can crystallize information. So there'll be a whole lot of people talking about different points around the room, a lot of them in conflict, but never really matching up or melding. And you can ask a question like, what I'm hearing is X. Is that correct? And like summarizing what's going on and feeding it back to people helps to crystallize what's going on and even to identify where those touch points are missing. You can sometimes use it to liberate your people's thinking. If, if, if your people are having a discussion and they get stuck at a certain point and you can see them going round and round and round in circles, sometimes asking the right question can divert their attention to focus them on something else so they can break away from where they are and become more productive in a discussion that goes beyond that. And of course, when we talk about the benefits of asking questions in the job search situation, It gives you the opportunity to showcase your own thinking, your own thought processes to demonstrate the insights that you have, both from the research you've done and from the way you're going to approach things in the future if you happen to be successful in that job search process. So what do really good questions look like? Well, there's a couple of elements that I think are appropriate in any circumstance that would be considered beneficial in terms of asking a question. So, the first thing is they want to have a purpose. You've got to have a purpose for the question. There's no point in asking a question just to look smart, right? It's important that your question needs a response. That people are made to think, that they wonder about whether or not uh, their particular point of view or their perspective is the one that they should hold on to or whether they should shift their thinking a little bit. So, always make a purpose with your question and understand what you're trying to achieve with it. Open ended questions. Are really good too. So, a closed question is something that gets a yes, no answer. And look, sometimes they are appropriate. I'm going to give you a couple of examples of that shortly. But open ended questions are really powerful because they elicit people's thinking. They make them describe and communicate what's going on for them, as opposed to just either agreeing with or refuting what you've said. So, make sure that the question isn't just, you know, do you agree with this, to which they will say yes or no but something more like, what aspects of this do you find most interesting? Or which elements of this problem do you think are the stickiest? Always ask open-ended questions that enable people to showcase what they know and to be more expansive about how they're thinking. Questions should be clear, but the best questions are really clear. They're simple. They don't have a lot of complex language in them. They are just straight to the point, succinct, Precise and they only deal with one concept. Right now, obviously, timing's important here as well, but having clarity in your question is just so important. Obviously, a good question is relevant to what's going on at the time. You don't want to completely change topics and get off topic because what that tends to do is to make people feel as though you're not listening to what they're talking about and that you don't understand it or that you don't give it any credibility. And that's not how you want to be seen. So make sure the question is relevant. And make sure that you engage people with it. You know, if you can use people's names when you're asking the question, if you can talk about things that other people have said in the room when you're asking a question, that stuff goes a really, really long way. So good questions uh, that you might ask in an interview situation, for example, something like this. Do you envisage that changes will be needed to key personnel? Or are you happy with the current levels of talent and capability in this team? Right. So what you're doing is trying to get an insight into the team that you would inherit if you were to, to be successful in the job. Or um, what do you think needs to change in the culture of the team I'd be leading? Right. Now, this is a really leading question. This is about, OK, something needs to change. That's why you're hiring me. What is it? So I think those are just a couple of the rules of thumb for how you make sure that your questions are good questions. You wanna be known for asking good questions. And in fact, they say that Nobel Prizes aren't awarded to the people who come up with the best answers, they're awarded to the people who ask the best question. And that's probably true, there's a lot in that. All right, let's move on and talk about asking questions during the job search process. I wanna get just a little bit more specific here. Now, of course, there are multiple phases in your job search process. Some of them are purely gonna be research and analysis. Some of them are gonna be using decision-making frameworks and risk analysis. But some other parts of it are very, very interactive. And so you're gonna have things like you know, mentoring meetings where you're trying to understand and uncover potential opportunities. You're gonna have uh, interviews where, you, where you're going and sitting before a, a, a potential employer or a panel of people to put your credibility forward for a job. And then of course, if you are offered a job, you have an opportunity to negotiate the terms of your contract. So in those three phases, that's where you'll find you're asking the most questions. And I'm going to give you some examples of those shortly. But there are three reasons for asking questions during the process, right? The first one is to demonstrate your thinking, right? You want people who are potentially going to hire you to see how your brain works, to see which things are important to you, to see how you're framing the problems that they have. The second reason for asking a question is just purely information gathering because anything you can learn about the job or the company is fantastic. And the third thing is that these are essential inputs into your eventual decision making process. It's very rare that you'll be looking at a single job in isolation. What normally happens is you'll be evaluating multiple opportunities against each other, it's going to be a relative process. Even if you're only evaluating, your current job against a potential different job, right? There's going to be that process of comparison and relativity. So there's a whole range of questions that would be useful to ask during these processes. Let me just give you a couple of examples. So in a networking scenario, right? Now, networking is incredibly important in terms of having a structured approach to uncovering job opportunity. But you might ask your mentors things like, do you think I'm targeting the right opportunities? Or do you think I'm being either too ambitious or too conservative in the types of jobs I'm applying for? Or something like, um, do you know of any companies that could benefit from my experience and capabilities? So you're asking direct questions that are going to get an answer. Some of them are going to be open-ended and some of them are going to be a little more closed. But what you're trying to do is uncover the potential for opportunities and for links into other opportunities from the people in your network. There'll be examples around interviewing. So for example, here's a good one. Um, If you would look back in 12 months and rate my performance in this role as a 10 out of 10, what would I have done to make you rate me that way? The thing I love about that question is that you're asking the person who's interviewing you to project forward. And to start thinking about, okay, you're a 10 out of 10. You've already been successful. Now what have you done? Which is, how do I assess your performance? How do I know whether you've done a good job? And then to communicate that back to you. And that's gonna tell you a hell of a lot about how they think. Uh, Another good question at the interview. How would I best be able to support you and your success through my role? So you're already signaling that your job is to make your boss look good. And there aren't too many people that sit over the other side of an interview table from you that aren't going to be attracted to that. Uh, another good question is, how would you describe your own leadership style and what would I have to do to optimise our working relationship? So this is going to give your interviewer an opportunity to tell you what they like in someone who reports to them. And then, of course, you can adapt the things that you do in later phases of the process to that answer. So very, very powerful. Then, of course, as I mentioned, there's the negotiating an employment contract. There are some questions there that would be quite obvious. But um, I think here's where you get more closed questions. For example, um, how flexible are the salary bands and where would you see me positioned initially? But that's that's a pretty, pretty closed question, but it does give them the opportunity to explain how remuneration is structured in their company. Uh, is there an opportunity to have my base remuneration reviewed at the end of my probationary period? Once again, sounds like a yes/no answer, but they will have to give you some sort of explanation as to why or why not that review might be possible. And then, of course, um, something like, um, given that I'm keen to grow and develop, and it's in the country's best interest, in the company's best interests too, would you commit to supporting my postgraduate study? Okay, so that's gonna tell you whether or not they're gonna help you financially or otherwise with further study that you wanna do outside of the job description. So that's just a few of the questions that are sort of useful during those different phases of the job search process. Then we have the art of the follow-up questions, And as I said, follow-up questions can be even more powerful than the original questions. They show people that you can listen, And understand and assimilate the information and then elaborate on it. So it's an opportunity for you to demonstrate that you listen actively. It it lets you display curiosity and it also lets you to seek more depth. So a lot of people who interview you are going to try and give you, you know, canned or superficial answers. But this is where you get your opportunity to dive a little bit deeper and find out what really is going on. Now, I don't know if any of you have heard of a guy called Chris Voss. Chris Voss wrote a book called Never Split the Difference. He was the top FBI hostage negotiator for years. And it's actually a really good book to read. If you're into negotiating, and I'm a bit of a business nerd, I love negotiation. So I, I love that book, uh, Never Split the Difference. My other favorite is called Negotiation Genius by um, Max Bazeman and Deepak, uh, Deepak Malhotra, the Harvard guys. Very, very good stuff. But Chris Voss uses this technique called mirroring. Now, when I talk about follow-up questions, I'm talking about a question that grabs onto something that's been given to you in an answer and then exploring that a bit further. But I really love Voss's concept of mirroring. So if, if someone in a, a negotiation says, you know, well, you're not listening to me, then the response is, I'm not listening to you. So you basically feedback exactly what's been said but phrase it like a question. And this will get them to talk more about whatever it was. Now, there's many, many ways to use this mirroring technique, but sometimes it's, it's the most effective way to get them to elaborate on whatever the answer is they've given. So, for example, you might get an answer that says, um, we've really struggled over the last 12 months with some of our suppliers. Then you could come back very easily and say, struggle with your suppliers and let them talk to you about how that's happened and what they've had to do and what they've been through and, and where they found problems. You can learn a hell of a lot just from repeating as a question what's already been said to you. So I love the technique of mirroring. When I talk about really good follow-up questions though, uh, one always comes to mind for me. I was, um, I was interviewing someone years and years ago and I just outlined how we were going to change our supplier strategy in a particular part of our business. And instead of uh, having you know a bunch of suppliers competing for every contract, we were gonna partner up with someone and do a longer term contract that enabled us to get closer and to have more open book um, management of what was going on and so forth. And she looked at me, listened very thoughtfully to the question. And, and the way she said this, it just rolled off the tongue. It was so natural and it just nailed the point so precisely that I knew straight away she completely understood that environment. She absolutely knew exactly what I was talking about. She asked it like this. Marty, what marginal benefits do you expect to come from this strategy? Because the more conventional strategy of pitting several firms against each other in a competitive tendering process gives you high value. So do you think the pros of a closer supplier relationship are going to outweigh the cons of having less commercial tension to keep your service provider honest? Like she just nailed this, she just bang. And that was, uh, I think, really good for her because I was impressed. And I said, well, wow, that, is, that is a really good question. And I wrestled with that for ages before making this decision. So yeah, you've hit the nail right on the head. So if you can get a really intelligent, well-crafted follow-up question, that can be super, super useful and really impress the people who are going to make a decision as to whether or not you're the right person to be working for them. Now, of course, uh, with any question, there are some traps for young players, right? And I always love talking about traps for young players. It's good to avoid questions that focus on irrelevant details. So if you haven't got a question that you think is, is meaty, then you'll sort of sense that and your judgment in your own head will be right. Now, just be a little bit careful because at the start, I spoke about the psychology of our brains telling us not to ask a question because we're afraid of how we might be perceived. But just ask yourself, okay, is this relevant to what's going on? Is it it a big ticket item, or am I just asking it for the sake of it? So just try and think about the relevance and um, uh, the materiality of the things that you want to question. Uh, Just be careful that you don't demonstrate either a lack of inquiry or a lack of research. So asking a really basic question about a company that you're interviewing for. So for example, you're being interviewed by, um, I don't know, let's say you're being interviewed by Boeing and the interviewer says to you, <laughs> uh, at Boeing, we do this, this and this. And then you ask the question, oh, oh, is, is Boeing privately owned or is it a listed company? Now, that's the sort of thing that you probably wanna know if you're going for an interview at Boeing. So don't demonstrate an obvious lack of inquiry or a lack of research in how you do things. Uh, Another trap for young players, don't portray any political or personal biases when you're asking questions in interview. It's just a no-brainer, right? The world is becoming more and more divided in terms of tolerance for different opinions. And you may well be sitting across the table from someone who has zero tolerance for your political views. Off your personal views. And I know that these days, chief executives in particular, but senior business people are expected to have a stand and to make a stand on social issues. Um, I fundamentally disagree with this. I think I think run your company, because inside the company, you're going to have a whole mix of views. You've got a, a melting pot of people. The bigger the company, the more differences in opinion you're going to have. And there's no real need to go and disenfranchise any of your employees for a reason that you don't need to. So when it comes to political or personal biases, keep them out of it as much as you can. It's not gonna work in your favor. Uh, one of the other traps for young players, probably the, the biggest one, is the question that demonstrates naked self-interest. And I've heard this all the time. You know, So many people that I've interviewed over the years have asked a question and their very first question, is not about what the company needs, what the team needs, what I'm looking for or anything else. It's all about what am I going to get out of this? And if you ask a question that demonstrates naked self-interest, then understandably, the person on the other side of the table from you is gonna think, "Mm, I don't know. Are they just in it for the money? Are they just in it for the benefits? Are they overly ambitious? Do they have high expectations? Are they entitled? Are they high maintenance? All these things are just going to start going through their head. So if you avoid those traps for young players, I think that's probably um, going to stand you in pretty good stead through that process. All right, just before we get into the q and I want to digress briefly to mention our short course, Landing Your Dream Job. Now, questioning is just one aspect of the job search process. There's so much more to it. What if you had a practical, structured framework to tackle the hunt for your dream job with confidence and purpose? So whether you're hunting for a new job or positioning for promotion in your current company, you've really got two choices, right? You can rely on your current approach, which, um, if you're anything like most leaders, is likely to be fairly organic, or you can get serious about landing your dream job and decide to follow a practical and structured framework that's going to have you standing out from the crowd. Now, if you want to stick with your current method, no problem at all. I I really hope you get what you're after. I really do. But in the spirit of no bullshit leadership, I just invite you to ask yourself a couple of questions. How's that working out for you so far? Have you been able to get access to the right opportunities? Have you been able to land the roles that you want by taking this approach? Or would you like to get where you want to go a little bit faster? But whatever you, whatever you come up with here, it's fine. Completely up to you. But if you're ready for option two, if you're ready to get this laser-like focus on your ideal role and do the work that you need to do to land it, then I'm going to invite you to enroll in our short course, Landing Your Dream Job. Now, it's a self-paced course. It's your key to unlocking new opportunities, whether it's advancing within the current organization, as I said, or embarking on an entirely new professional adventure. Landing your dream job is a strategic tool for when you're ready to take proactive control of the job search process and of your career. And the higher up you go, the tougher it is to land the perfect role. Just imagine positioning yourself as the obvious choice for any job. So what's in the course? It's self-paced. It's in an online format. So there are six key lessons. And they're each packed with practical insights. So in the first lesson, you learn how to identify and target the right opportunities. In the second lesson, I teach you how to build and utilise your network productively. The third lesson is how to prepare for interviews. The fourth is how to ask the right question, which, of course, we've touched on broadly in this training. The fifth lesson is how to critically evaluate roles. Now, if you're looking at more than one role, having a framework for the evaluation is absolutely crucial. And I can't tell you how many people I know make really poor decisions just because they make them solely on gut feel. Don't get me wrong, gut feel has to come into this, right? You will take certain feelings and understandings and perceptions from the whole process that you should not ignore. But you've still got to have some sort of structured framework if you're going to make that decision well. And finally, most of us, when we're offered a job, we take what they offer us. Almost every contract is negotiable. So how do you negotiate your employment terms with confidence? So landing your dream job is a comprehensive toolkit for career advancement. Now, my own journey from early leadership roles to chief executive taught me heaps of things. And I've also interviewed hundreds of people from frontline managers to C-suite executives. So in this course, I just don't hold anything back. Like everything we do at Your CEO Mentor, I share all of my experience with you as with all the content we produce, I've designed this to deal with real-world challenges so that you can just target the best possible opportunities. It's not just about landing a job that suits where you are now. It's about finding a role that offers future career growth and development. So imagine how much further you could go with the right guidance. Like all our products, we've priced landing your dream job to be accessible to everyone. Now, pricing is going to vary depending on where you are, but no matter where you are, Just implementing a few of the techniques in the final lesson on negotiation could give you a 100X ROI. You'll learn all the secrets of the structured process that I followed to go from university dropout to chief executive of a multi-billion dollar company. This is your chance to invest in yourself, to make that leap from where you are to where you want to be. And with lifetime access, you can just revisit these lessons again and again and again as you climb the ladder of success. So, join landing your dream job now and discover how you can make your career ambitions a reality. Just click on the image, and that's going to take you to the page with more information about the short course as well as the sign up form. All righty, let's get on to some questions. Hopefully, Em's going to be able to join me on stage. Hey, Em, how are you?
1: Hey, hi, I can. Hoping my and camera was working. <laughs>
0: Emma is it's the chief so... executive of our business, your CEO mentor. She's the brains behind everything we do, and she's going to help ah, me out with the QA.
1: Too kind, too kind. No, thank you so much for that training, Marty. It's something that we ran a poll. Um, well, we ran a couple of polls on our socials, and we got uh, so much feedback on the art of asking questions. How do you ask exceptional questions that are compelling? And we really wanted to go into the this is exactly what you say in this scenario. These are some exact examples instead of just being really top line. So you did a fantastic job there. Now, of course, we're excited about landing your dream job. We love that program, but let's get into the Q and A's. So I'm gonna start with Sarah's question. Um, Even if I'm confident asking the question, what if the interviewer thinks that I've asked a dumb question?
0: Um, Look, different interviewers will have different expectations around asking questions. Some interviewers don't really want you to ask questions. All they want is to ask the questions they've got, to listen to your responses, to mark them down on their bit of paper, and to say goodbye. But at the end of every interview, they'll say, you know, well, do you have any questions for me? And they ask it out of politeness. So sometimes, no matter how good your question is, the interviewer doesn't really want to hear it anyway, and you'll feel that sense of impatience if that's the case. So it's important to be able to read the play on that one. But what I'd say is you will know if a question's dumb or not, okay? And if you know it's a smart question and a question has been based on the right research or the right understanding of what's going on, and you genuinely want to hear the answer and you follow those rules for what does a really good question look like in terms of its anatomy, you know, does it have a purpose? Is it clear? You know, is it well phrased, et cetera, et cetera? All those things we ran through before, then you find you won't be asking a dumb question. The dumbest thing is to miss out on knowledge because you're afraid of asking a question. So every question is a learning opportunity for you and for the person who's interviewing you. Make sure you don't miss those opportunities.
1: Wonderful. Question from Ryan. Sometimes I've asked questions and not understood the answer and then not known how to follow up. Any advice on that?
0: Yeah, heaps of advice on this. Ryan, This happened. <laughs> you'd be surprised how often this happens to me. Um, asking a question and getting an answer and just not even understanding what the answer is. And I used to find this would happen frequently to me and to people who were part of my executive team in board meetings when I was running CS Energy. A director would answer a question or someone would ask a question to be answered. And you could tell that the understanding wasn't there, But people would just battle on regardless. Stop, right? If you don't understand the answer, stop. Be humble, it's better to seek clarification than to proceed with a misunderstanding. If you don't misunderstand something or if you haven't actually understood the answer, you're likely to put your foot in your mouth next. So try and avoid that. So you can always say something like, I'm really sorry, but I didn't quite understand that. Would you mind rephrasing the answer? And most people will go, oh, sure. I wasn't clear. Like most people take it as their own responsibility if you haven't understood an answer they've given. and you know quite often I'd get asked for a redirect, and I'd say, "Yeah, look i I didn't say that the right way. Let me have another crack at it. I never got offended by it, I didn't feel threatened by it. I didn't think the person on the other side of the table was dumb. All I thought was, Yeah, I didn't really explain that well. I've got to try better to explain it, or just even simply you just say,, um, can I please clarify, do you mean x and at least feed it back so that they know you've listened, but you haven't quite understood necessarily the answer. Quite often when you do that, they'll go." yeah, that's exactly right. Or they'll say, um, yeah, that's close, but also X. And so this can give you a really good opportunity to actually further the conversation because the more interactive your discussion is, the more of a relationship you're going to build. And that's important when you're in this sort of scenario.
1: So Stefano's asked from a different angle. You've asked a great question at your interview. However, the response from your future boss is not to the point. What would you do? Would you ask the same question differently or just move on?
0: Oh, that, I mean, I mean, this is a tricky one. This comes down to reading the play again. Uh, you don't want to show yourself as being obstinate. So, if if you if you keep trying to attack something the same way and watching the person on the other side of the table squirming in their seat because they're not sure how to answer it, that's not a good thing, right? Um, so, so a single redirect is good. Uh, maybe you know phrasing your question a different way or asking for clarification works quite well. Uh, but don't die in a ditch over it, right? If if you're not going to get the answer, work it out and move on.
1: Jackie wants to know if we offer a payment plan option for the landing your dream job course.
0: Uh, Of course we do. Uh, So, I mean, it'll be priced very affordably, but uh, we know that, you know, everyone's got things on. So no matter what the region is and what the regional pricing is, there'll always be a two payment option. So split it up into two months rather than a single payment.
1: Beautiful, Um, Emily's question. I've always held back from asking too many questions in interviews in case my questions make me look unprepared. And you kind of touched on that with the uh, Boeing example. If I've missed something that they think I should know, what do I do if I'm caught off guard in a situation like this?
0: Uh, Yeah, I think um, I think there's always the do your homework thing, right? Make sure you do your homework first, because nothing will give you confidence in asking questions more than being really well-prepared and knowing that you're well-prepared. And so knowing the sorts of things you're interested in going in and then listening to what's going on in the interview itself and and working out, okay, well, what, what do I want to know about this? What part of this discovery process that I'm in here do I feel as though isn't filled yet? And then And then put your questions around that. Now, of course, you know, if you've done your homework, it's unlikely to happen to you very often. But if you are caught off guard use it as a learning opportunity for next time. And there've even been times when I've asked a question and I didn't think it was a dumb question. I didn't think it was something I should have known. But just from the response of the interviewer, the way they answered it, I've gone, oh, okay. The way they're answering it, I think they think I should have known that. And when that's happened, I've actually said, oh, look, I'm sorry, I I probably should have known that and then move on, (laughs) you know. So if they look like they're getting a little bit impatient, or they're looking as though they think it was a stupid question to say, oh, look, hey, sorry, look, I probably shouldn't have known that. And then just make sure your next one's a good one. You get a couple of those in a row, cut your losses and get out of there.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Ellie's question, how long does landing your dream job take to get through is it a big time commitment? Great question, considering that our other program is eight weeks.
0: (laughs) Um, Yeah, it is. No, actually, this is, we call it a short course for a reason. So there are six lessons in all as I mentioned and uh, it's about I don't know 50 minutes it's less than an hour of total video watching time. So there's six very brief videos, maybe 8 to 10 minutes maybe I guess on average. Uh, and look with all the content I put out there I make it as simple and as powerful as possible. Right? So it's got to be it's got to be concise, it's got to be direct and it's got to be practical. And and the the catchphrase I always use is that it is incredibly simple. And it's deceptively simple, but it's unbelievably powerful. And so if you can get this, the power of the simplicity, then you'll really be able to put it to work for you. So, you know, we give you enough information to implement, but not too much that it becomes a barrier to action. That's sort of what we're trying to achieve in terms of the balance there. So look, you could spend one hour or five hours on the workbook lessons. Because each of the videos comes with some sort of worksheet. It'll be an activity for you to do. Parts of that, if you do it properly, will take you a long time. So when you're trying to work out what your um, job preference framework is, well, I worked on that and refined it over a number of years. The first cut I had was good enough to go ahead with. So we take the excellence over perfection principle, get moving and take action. That's what you need to be able to do. But some of this stuff you refine for a long time as you get more experienced, um, as as your judgment improves, as you go through different stages of your career, these things will change. So we design these things as being a companion for your whole career. So you you can have it, you can access it again and again and again. And as your perspective changes, as your opportunities change, as your career matures, you'll still be able to use it, but in a slightly different context. So it really depends on, you know, where you are in your job hunting journey, uh, which area you're focusing on at any point in time, where you're already weak or strong. Some of you may already be exceptional networkers, but pretty poor at negotiating. So, you know, it'll it'll pick up those things for you and you'll know where you need to put the emphasis. So, you know, uh, I mean, on face value, you can knock it over in a week, but the implementation part of it, planning out each piece could take several weeks, constant tweaking, and refining your approach and be a life's work.
1: Gabrielle, hello, LBTR. Um, I have an important interview next week. Can I get your top tip for interview preparation? We've got a whole lesson on that in landing your dream job. So interview prep yep. is definitely something that's covered, but your top tip, Marnie, can you boil it down to just one?
0: <laughs> um, I, I think if I was going to approach any role, my top tip would be... Uh, Only take the interview if you really want the job. Now I get a lot of a lot of people who'll do the old, oh well, you know, I'm not sure whether I want the job, but you know, it's good experience to go for the interview. And I know I'm getting back in the market, so you know, blah, 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 blah. It'll be good practice for me. Okay, never ever do that. If you really want the job, go for the interview. If you don't want the job, don't do it. The way to find out if you really want the job is to do your basic research. And I'd always spend a few hours looking at the company, anything I could learn about the individuals. i go, you know, LinkedIn stalking. I'd do a whole bunch of stuff to work out whether or not I wanted the job. And if I didn't have the appetite to do that upfront work, it was probably a sign that it wasn't really a job that I was after. And so I'd actually decline the interview. It's my number one tip.
1: And good luck on the interview. Very exciting. Absolutely. Uh, Quentin's question is, how do I ask about company culture without sounding like I'm fishing for red flags? I've regretted not asking questions like this in the past. Great
0: question. It is a really good question. And I think um, whenever you ask about culture, you'll find that normally people who are interviewing you are going to be quite defensive for the most part. They're going to try and sell you on the job right? They want you to want the job. So they're going to try and tell you all of the good things. They don't do this intentionally. They're not trying to be deceptive. But naturally, they're going to tell you all about the great things about the company you're just about to work for. They will uh, undersell probably the downside of that. So asking questions that drill into what the culture is like without actually necessarily saying, tell me about your culture, is sometimes the way to approach it and look I've done it both ways I've I've asked you know particularly when you're dealing with high level jobs I've asked you know chairman of a company so tell me what your problems are if if you know how would you describe the culture and bearing in mind of course there's no such thing as a culture in any company there are multiple cultures which are driven by who the leader is what the location is a whole range of things that drive culture and different teams are completely different so I think um some of the sorts of roundabout questions you can ask that aren't quite so direct and can't be necessarily seen as 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 being quite as um uh i don't know confronting would be things like you know for example could you describe the team's dynamic and how leadership supports professional growth or you could ask what's more important to this business is it collaboration and innovation or is it single point accountability and results And so there's a whole range of ways of asking the question without asking the question necessarily about culture. And once again, you'll have a set of questions that you think you can get away with, with your style, with your natural um, uh, connection to the person who's interviewing you. But also, you know, there'll be some things that you won't want to ask. You know, you'll get signals early on in the interview. So instead of just worrying about what you're being asked and what you're saying, don't forget to read the signs that are coming back from the other side of the table. Watch the body language. Look at when they get bored. Look at when they start fiddling with their papers. Work out which things they actually make notes on. That'll tell you which things they're interested in if they write a note on it. Um, and sometimes you can misread this as well. You know, Sometimes you see them write a note and you go, wow, they must have liked that point, but they could have been writing down never hire this guy no matter what. So you don't really know but you'll see from the body language and from some of the reactions from the other side of the table what they're likely to be thinking.
1: Sonia asked a question, does the course cover how to navigate the slow job market in this current environment? Networking coffees are great, but I'm keen to find my dream job.
0: Yeah, and I think in a slow job market, this this is, you know, your job market's going to go like this. It's a market like any other, right? So it's going to have its peaks and troughs. What these tools are are tools that are going to help you no matter what the circumstances are to maximise the probability of finding what you're looking for. And the whole networking thing is, you know, hey, it's not at all what people think it is. The structured way of going through that process, knowing exactly what you want and what you offer to a potential employer, all of these things are so important and they should be disciplined, targeted, concise meetings where you're after an outcome. And I'm not gonna leave you with this one because you'll have to do the course for this. But there's one question at the end of every networking meeting that explodes the size of your network. Ooh,
1: I'm on the end of my seat, even though I know the answer.
0: (laughs) Uh, Em did all the production of the video, she knows what's coming.
1: uh, Marina said, how many questions is too many questions during an interview?
0: Uh, Look, it it sort of depends. Sometimes one question is too many if your interviewer's already made a decision that you're not the right person. So read the play. Uh, I I normally think one to three is pretty good if they're the right questions. And if they're thoughtful questions, you'll see the other person getting engaged and wanting to talk more about what's going on and leaving open follow-up questions. So I like to think in terms of, you know, let's say you've got an, an hour allocated. If they do 45 minutes of interviewing, then I would absolutely not go past 10 minutes of questioning, right? If they go for an hour, you might be able to get, you know, five to 15 minutes. But, you know, just think about the relative emphasis on their questioning of you, which they will always see as being a priority, and your ability to ask questions of them, bearing in mind, of course, some people are only using that as a polite formality as opposed to genuinely wanting to satisfy your curiosity and answer your questions.
1: Uh, Jen had a great question, but I've lost it in the chat. Um, Jen's question was around, oh, there we go. I'm employee number 14. The organization is now at 100 people at a game changing startup. How do I negotiate why I should command a top tier salary tier and negotiate the best ICP for me and my company? So this is interesting because we have a lesson in the program about negotiation, but What's one of the tips around negotiation that you start with, Marty, when you're going into a new role?
0: Yeah, I think think at this level, it's all about value delivered. So so there's a couple of things, right? The first thing is you've got to be confident in the value that you're bringing to the organisation. Length of tenure is the worst measure of value. So don't go there. Only go to where you're driving value for the company and you can actually demonstrate that. Um, sometimes, though, you'll find there are timing disparities. There are always anomalies in companies' pay brackets. So we hired this person here, okay, and they were hired at let's let's just argument say one hundred thousand dollars, right? The market's moved. That same role now is paying one hundred and seventy. So seventy percent more than this person was hired on. The person you're just about to pay one hundred seventy thousand dollars to isn't as good as a person that's currently sitting there on 100. So I think the thing about this is that you're relying on the company to have some sort of understanding of these relativities and they want to keep their good people. So they understand that there's going to be bracket creep, there are going to be historical anomalies, there are going to be a whole range of things that happen that are going to mean the right people aren't getting paid the right amount and the wrong people are getting paid more than they should. So this is normally an institutional problem, particularly when you've got a company like yours that's growing super fast. If companies grow really quickly, they can't deal with these things easily. And you can find that just going through two years of that type of hiring frenzy will put you in a position where you know, there's very, very little equity in what's going on. So the case has to be a value case. And there's heaps of questions around that. But you know, once again, prepare. Now, really be confident in the value that you and your team are bringing and why you should be getting paid more.
1: Uh Tom said, I work in a small advertising business. Will landing a dream job be relevant for my industry or more corporate roles?
0: See, it's relevant for every industry. Um, the, the larger the organization and the more opportunities there are, I guess the, the more you'll get to use it. If you're a founder of your own company, you're probably not going to want to change jobs really soon. So I don't think M's going to get a huge amount out of this. But for even if you are a business owner, it's really important to know how other people are thinking. Like you're going to be hiring people as you grow. And so understanding what that side of the table looks like on negotiations, understanding you know what, what you're looking for in someone who's going to come through, like all of those things are important. But I think smaller companies, it's more important you get this right. And sometimes it's much harder to research a smaller company. So a lot of the stuff around you know, making sure you're targeting the right opportunities, you need to know a little bit about the company you're going to be joining. But public companies are very transparent. Privately owned companies are quite opaque. So you can't just go online and find their financials. You can't see the pay scales and what everyone else is making. You can't look at their financial ratios to see how healthy they are or which direction they're heading. So sometimes the smaller companies are tougher, but all of the principles still apply. And if you're looking for a job in any industry, anywhere, these principles are going to hold you in good stead because they'll help you to make better decisions about which opportunity might be best for you.
1: Yeah, and Nadia said, What level of leader is the dream job course for? I'm mid level, will it suit me? Mm -hmm. Sorry, I didn't give you much opportunity to have a drink there.
0: (laughs) That's right, it's just so that I didn't choke on Nadia's answer. Um, (laughs) It's for all levels, but some courses, as some parts of the course, are going to be more relevant at higher levels or lower levels. So, for example, in the negotiating contracts piece, I talk about the things that are negotiable, and I'll talk about things like sign-on bonuses. Now, if you're coming in to uh, an industrial business as an electrical fitter at the leading hand level, you're probably not gonna be able to negotiate a sign-on bonus, okay? So some of these things are gonna be more relevant the higher up you go, some things are more relevant for the lower levels where you're at because they imply that you don't have a huge amount of experience in these things. But it's been designed so that every level can take something out of it.
1: Um, question from Brian. What type of question or questions should you ask for highly technical leadership positions? Should you ask something technical or more for government, governance or other? Well,
0: it depends what you're looking for in the role. So if it's a highly technical role, you want to uh, be able to ascertain technical competency. And if you're trying to ascertain technical competency, there's a, a a range of ways to do that. So if it's an industry that's sort of regulated or has um, standard certifications, you can make sure that those certifications are current. Right, that's that's one way of doing it. I find that with technical interviews, and I've done heaps and heaps of these in my early career. I think asking them how they'd solve a problem is a really good way to do it. So giving them a um, a, a scenario or a problem, just describing a very brief scenario and asking them how they would go about solving that problem. And you can do it in two phases, right? The first one is, tell me about a time in the past where you've had to solve a problem like this and how did you approach it? And if they haven't done that, they say, well, look, I haven't actually done that. Say, okay, well, knowing what you know about this role and about the company that we're hiring into, how would you go about this if you were given that um, problem or you're given that issue to solve? So I think asking questions around that, I think it's much easier to ascertain technical competence than it is to ascertain, you know, leadership uh, behaviours, like all the things that you're trying to look for in someone who's going to be in a leadership role. So what I'd say is understand the balance, right? Is it an 80% technical, 20%, you know, leadership governance, you know, administration? Is it 40 and 60? Is it 90 and 10? Like, if you know that, then that'll help you work out how to weight the questions.
1: Bill had a question in terms of building rapport as part of that interview process. If Mm. you're trying to build rapport, how do you stay away from that personal and political stuff?
0: Uh, Well, there's always a, there's a heap heap of safe areas, you know? So you, you think about, you know, hobbies, pastimes, family, right? Any of those questions are going to build rapport report straight away common links right do you know someone they might know you know do you have common experiences have they been in common industries I mean it's so easy to get this information on people these days in the past you're walking in fairly blind and unless you actually knew of the person in that company or the industry or you had someone who'd worked for them you had no chance of working out you know where they were from but you know if, if I go into any sort of meeting or if I have you know someone that um, poses me a question or asks for connection on LinkedIn, i just flick over and go, okay, where are you from? Where have you been? What do you know? Where were you educated? Like, like that. So if you do those basic things, you're going to easily find ways to strike up a conversation that is personal without being at all encroaching on you know politics, religion, you know, any of those views that could be controversial.
1: Claire has asked, how do I avoid questions coming across as critical and instead as curious? Um, This is outside of the context of interviewing, just generally.
0: Um, Yeah, I think there's uh, a few. In fact, I just answered this question, I don't know, an hour or so ago in our Leadership Beyond the Theory cohort. Um, I I used to be very, very direct with my questioning, and I still probably am very direct, but I realised I put a lot of people offside. And if people don't feel as though, They like you, or you're on side when you ask a question, they'll shut down. They'll start thinking about how they're going to refute your question. They'll think about why you're wrong, because clearly you're wrong. Um, So they'll be thinking about that. Now, there's ways to be a little more disarming when you ask a question, and it's just in how you phrase that very, very first piece of the question. And I found that if I did this the right way, I could be sledgehammer direct as long as the start of the question was phrased the right way. So I would say things like, look, I know I'm probably wrong. You guys are a lot more experienced than I am. But then comes the question. And the best thing about that is if you can ask a killer question where you start by saying, I'm probably wrong, and then you just drop this killer question. Everyone goes, oh, shit, you're not wrong, Marty. That's (laughs) Which, Which is cool, right? And that's just more from a personal fun standpoint than anything else. It's not particularly productive. But... Um or other ways of doing it are things like um it occurs to me that, and that's always a good way to start. It occurs to me that such and such or you know I think there's some really good points here, but are we missing x? So you're always asking these curious styles of questions where you've got this killer point to come in, but you're asking really curious questions. you're phrasing it as a' we, not an I,' its a we.' Are we missing something here? What are the risks that we're facing? So you're including everyone in the question, and then you can be as direct as you like, and you will be fine.
1: Awesome, Marty. All right, we're pretty much out of time for questions. Can you give us a quick wrap? Landing your dream job, why should why should people join? Why should people jump on board this short course?
0: Well, I mean, I I spent years and years working out how to seek jobs how to land jobs. And I got a lot wrong. I got a bit right. And I did go from being like an undergraduate university dropout of law school in Sydney to chief executive of a multi-billion dollar company. And it wasn't luck. There's a process to it. And the more you can actually get a process you're confident in that enables you to do the right things, you will find not only the job that's right for you, but the career that you want to shoehorn yourself into, that, that that career piece where you're saying my ultimate objective is to get here and in order to do that, here's all the options I've got on the table for me. Which one takes me closest? And then you know what to do. So no matter what level you're at, I mean, this is going to be a no-brainer for you. Easy to consume, very powerful.
1: All right, I really hope you enjoyed that episode and got a huge amount of value out of it. There were some cracking questions in the Q&A, so a big thank you to everyone who turned up live. If you'd like to sink your teeth into our new short course, Landing Your Dream Job, head to bit.ly forward slash L-Y-D-J for landing your dream job. That's B-I-T forward slash L-Y-D-J. But we'll also put a link in the show notes as usual. I'll look forward to next week's episode, Personal Culture Fit, Finding the Right Company. Until then, I know you'll take every opportunity you can to be a no bullshit leader.